Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Christmas. It's finally upon us, and I hope you are going to have an incredible Christmas season with your family, your friends. I'm so glad to be here today. And uh, the reason why I'm speaking to you today from here, from this video, is because I just recently learned that I have COVID, and I've been vaccinated. And so I, I got to tell you, I, I'm getting better every single day, uh, feeling great even as I'm standing here right now. But uh, it just for all of us, it's just better that I speak to us uh, via video. And I've been excited to do this, to share in this time, to dive into what we're going to talk about today, because I think what we're going to learn through this series is essential. Now, I don't know about you, but every December when I was growing up as a kid, I look forward to two things. First of all, it would be Christmas vacation. Right? As a kid, there was nothing better. Like two weeks off from school, it was amazing. In fact, the only thing better than Christmas vacation was Christmas itself. What a beautiful time. A time to be with family, a time to go to church, a time to celebrate God and his incredible love for us, loved Christmas. Now, I don't know about you, but unlike some families that actually waited for Christmas Day to open their gifts, we actually opened our gifts every single Christmas Eve. I think it was largely due to my father, who was like an adult child. I mean, he couldn't wait, so no one else waited either. We'd open up our gifts at Christmas Eve. But unlike some families where the kids already basically knew what gifts were inside, they knew what was inside those boxes, we had absolutely no clue. And so as a kid, my heart pounded with anticipation as I took off the paper to see what was inside because it was a mystery. But I don't think that's how many people approach Christmas today as a mystery, like there's something more to it they've never quite seen before. I think that when it comes to this gift called Christmas, Many people think they already know what's inside. After all, they've heard the Christmas story. It's a beautiful story. It's a powerful story. But because they've heard it so many times, it it seldom contains any real surprises. Well, welcome to our new series entitled Unwrapping Christmas. Because over the next few weekends, we're going to take a look at some popular Christmas passages in the Bible, ones you've undoubtedly heard before and thought you long understood. And maybe you have. But what we're going to do is we're going to read them, we're going to reflect upon them, and then we're going to unwrap them in order to discover some beautiful gifts that have been waiting for us all the while, and yet you may just have never quite seen them before. Today, as we do this, it's going to require us to go all the way back, back to 73 B.C., It was then that a Thracian named Spartacus broke out of a gladiator school in Capua and managed to raise an army of over 90,000 people. He did so by raiding country estates and then setting free all of their slaves and then inviting them to join him in this revolt against Rome. And while Spartacus certainly wanted his own personal freedom, this revolt was basically a call for human dignity. And this mission was especially appealing to those who had long served as slaves. So after training them to fight, his army won battle after battle for a period of almost like two years until they were eventually defeated in 71 BC by a general of the Roman army known as Marcus Licinius Crassus. Given their victory, it was now Rome's opportunity to re-remind people of their status, of their worth, of their dignity. And it was painful. 
You see, everything about the Roman Empire was about status. Where you sat in the theater or in the Hippodrome. Where you sat at meals. Where you lived in the city. And so in order to remind the people of that day of their position in life, and in order to deter any kind of future revolts, Crassus had 6,000 rebels crucified along the Appian Way between Rome and Naples. It was along this road that various Jews, as well as people who were considered less than Roman, could be reminded of their level of worth in Rome's eyes. They were nothing. It was painful. And you see, all Spartacus wanted was to be known for who he was, a man just like any other man who had worth and dignity. It's against this painful backdrop that we read these, these powerful words. Listen to them. Luke 2, 8 through 11. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Let me pause there for a moment. Have you really contemplated that phrase? For all the people. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Now, when it comes to all the people, we first would think of Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph in that age, they were considered to be commoners. Average people, uh, people who had some worth, but not a lot of worth. The shepherds, well, they were considered to be less than human, slightly more valuable than a dog. And yet the angels told them that this good news that they were declaring would cause great joy for all the people. And all the people certainly included them. I think this partially was a reminder to these shepherds of their value, of their worth. You see, this message the angel delivered to them was a powerful message, but it was, it was a subversive message to that culture. As one Roman poet wrote, he said, there is nothing in the calamity of poverty that is harder to bear than the fact that it makes people look ridiculous. In fact, classic philosophers live by this motto. Mercy indeed is not governed by reason at all, and humans must learn to curb the impulse of mercy. The cry of the undeserving for mercy must go unanswered. And I think we often bypass this. We don't even think about this because we live in our own culture. And so in our own culture, we gather at Christmas and we'll sing the first Noel. The angels did say was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. In fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. Noel, Noel. Noel, Noel, born is the king of Israel, a shepherd and a king. And yet Christ wasn't the only king that can be found as part of the Christmas story. In addition to Jesus, the king of Israel, the king of kings, we find King Herod, but we also find we three kings of Orionar. Bearing gifts, we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. O star of wonder, star of light, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. And the Bible tells us that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now I want us to hit the pause button here for a moment. I want us to really think about this. 
Because within the Christmas story, we suddenly find various people who weren't supposed to commune with one another. Joseph and Mary, they were common people. Shepherds, they were less than people. The kings and the wise men, they were the upper crust of people. You see, Christmas should remind us that in a world that often rates people by their conferred status, Jesus provides dignity to all. Dignity, it's the quality or state of being worthy, honored, and esteemed. And this was one essential goal of the angel's message as he declared it to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. In fact, this was the truth that the Apostle John so powerfully wrote about when he wrote these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. As you look at those words, you might think, well, how does that relate to every human being who's ever lived or ever will live? Well, John is pointing us back again to Genesis 1. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're made in the image of God. I think this brings us to an important question. How is it then that Rome, once a world power, only holds power in the history books? Well, those they persecuted and killed, Christians, can now be found virtually all over the world. Jesus. He came at Christmas to bring salvation to all who would believe in him and to bring dignity to all who would ever live. So do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And think about this. No other civilization adopted an ethic of dignity like his. And yet sadly, throughout history, humans have used labels and categories and hierarchies to divide and organize human beings within societies. It was true back then, and it's still true today. Even today, people are often divided according to dignity based on things like their age. In, in America here, do we really esteem the elderly? And how about gender, male and female? Are they both equal or treated as equal all of the time? And ethnicity, we've talked about this in various series. This is still something that we've got a lot of work to do, friends. People are, are based, on, according to dignity, based on their social standing or their education. Oh, they only graduated from high school or they have a doctorate. And suddenly people are more important based on whatever they hold in terms of their educational status. I want you to think about this. To accord people dignity based on labels and divisions is actually a pagan concept. And that's why when the infant Jesus grew up and started leading as a rabbi, he hung out with all different kinds of people that society said he should never befriend. People like lepers, beggars, tax collectors, those of really poor reputation, sinners, Samaritans, women, and even children. That last one might catch you off guard, but yes, even children. You see, Romans didn't consider a child to be a human until that child could walk and talk. And these are just the male children I'm talking about. In fact, a letter a Roman soldier sent to his wife in 1 BC describes the level of dignity accorded to girls. Above all, if you bear a child and it is male, let it be. If it is female, cast it out. But little girls were not the only children to be discarded. 
The Greek philosopher Aristotle, you've undoubtedly heard of him. He earlier had suggested this. Let there be a law that no deformed child shall live. And yet children were so important, so essential to Jesus, that he actually rebuked his own followers for sending them away. In fact, when they wanted to know who would be greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus told them. He said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Over and over and over again, Jesus plowed over cultural barriers to extend love and affirm the dignity of all people. And friends, his his actions were shocking, as well as his words. They were shocking to the general public. They were shocking to the Romans. And they were shocking to the religious leaders of that day. And that's why when we move from Luke 2 to Mark 2, we find these words. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And the Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. Think about this. This would not be the first time when Christ sharing a meal with a diverse group of people would be viewed as both subversive and radical. This would be true over and over and over again because of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus doesn't care about our human pecking orders. Rather, he completely disregards them. So do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And that's why Jesus didn't view people as shepherds or as kings or as common people. To Jesus, every person is valuable, precious, and prized. And that's why he talked with them. He hung out with them and he ate meals with them. It's also then shouldn't be surprising when we read Paul's words. He's writing to a diverse group of people now. And he tells them this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, Spartacus, a slave, died in his failed attempts to provide people dignity. Jesus, a king, took on the form of a servant and a slave so that through his death and through his life, he could provide dignity to all people. So do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It's beautiful. And even so, Christ's call for dignity was difficult for many people to understand. It kind of confused people. Even John the Baptist, he was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. And and he, he sends a message and he asks, are you the Messiah? Or should we be expecting someone else? So John is hearing what Jesus is doing. He's going, I don't know that you're meeting my expectations. And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So in order to help John the Baptist understand who he is, Jesus called his attention to the work of himself affording people human dignity to everyone. He's saying, you wonder who I am? Well, take a look at this. This shows who I am. And by doing this, he also held the bar high for each one of us. In fact, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and mine, you did for me. It's also why Jesus said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. See, Jesus takes our actions towards other people, those who are hurting, those who are disenfranchised, those who are set aside, those who are poor. He takes that personally because of the dignity they possess as God's image bearers. Friends, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And the Christians back then, they heard and they responded. And that's why it's clear that by the fourth century, Christians continued to declare the dignity of the poor, even while the Roman world completely despised them. And we know this from Roman records. In fact, Julian, he's the emperor of that time. He writes a pagan priest in utter embarrassment. He says, I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by the priest, he's talking to him. The impious Galileans, that's Christians, Jewish Christians, observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans, these Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. Friends, this coming Saturday, as we take part in Hands Against Hunger, we continue the powerful theme of upholding human dignity as we commit our hands to the very work Christians were known for embracing under the iron hand of Rome. Christmas should remind us that we all have dignity in life because of Jesus. This applied to the poor. This applied to children. This applied to people of color. This applied to people who were women as well may not be so revolutionary, maybe in our world, even though there's work yet to do. It was revolutionary back then. Because in the Roman world of that time, a woman was an unpredictable and fickle creature. You see, in both Greece and Rome, women were largely regarded as biologically and intellectually inferior to men. Women did not have equivalent legal status with men. They were not allowed to vote in elections or run for political office. Women were actually viewed much like a piece of property that would pass from the control of one male, her father, to eventually another male, her husband, but always under the subordination of a man. Overall, when you take a look at history, women were supposed to remain socially invisible. The child born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago changed all of this. You see, Jesus afforded women a social dignity and respect that was shocking to the world of its time. That's why we see in the Gospels, we see women who were his disciples. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he could have appeared to anyone, and yet he chose to appear first to women, to remind them of who they are, valuable in God's eyes. So friends, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Let us never forget that Jesus came at Christmas to provide salvation for all who would believe in him and dignity for all who would ever live. You see, God doesn't place people into categories like we do. 
In fact, the only categories for God are those who don't know him and those who know him. Two categories. See, if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard something like this a thousand times. Jesus died for all. Jesus died for all. And your justification before him, your ability to become his son or daughter, isn't based on anything in you, your status or what you've done or your reputation. It's built on Christ's work for you on the cross. Sadly, it almost sounds cliche. But I want you to understand something here. You've got to understand that in the context of the Greco-Roman culture, this was anything but warm and fuzzy religious talk. You see, according people, equal dignity and value before God was downright revolutionary. And it made the church revolutionary. And we're reminded over and over again of the power of this revolution whenever we eat and drink together. You see, it's not an exaggeration to say that who Jesus was willing to eat with was part of what got him killed. You see, he he would eat with anybody. He would even take the servant seat and serve everybody in the meal as a reminder that in his kingdom, the meal was not a place for reinforcing status. It was a place for asserting dignity to all. And his death, his death would be a reminder that all people are worth dying for. As Paul would later write, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's words should remind us that we all have human dignity since we're all made in the image of God. But they should remind us of something else as well. While we are all his image bearers, we are also all sinners, which is why the Christmas message applies to all of us. And that's why when Christ's first followers, they would begin meeting together shortly after his death and resurrection and ascension. They did what Jesus modeled for them to do. They would gather around a meal to partake of the Lord's Supper. I want you to imagine this now, though. In a society obsessed with status and rank, a society in which everywhere you turn, you're getting sorted, you're getting labeled and categorized according to your value or lack thereof, in this society, in the church, there is a group of people who get together to share a meal. And when they sit at a meal, they don't sit according to rank or status. There's no partiality. A tax collector sits next to a Samaritan who sits next to a Jew, who sits next to a beggar, who sits next to a Roman, who sits next to a leper. Are you getting it? It's beautiful. And this is why Paul would write these words. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Not this group over here and that group over there and this group over here. No, no, no. Every follower, equal in status, sharing a meal together. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. See, these subversive meals are what Rome despised most about Christians. I mean, it wasn't so much their belief in Jesus over and above Caesar, although that was part of the problem too. The biggest issue for them back then was how Christians accorded everyone equal human dignity, and it usurped the Roman social order. They couldn't put up with it. So this Christmas, when you think about shepherds by Christ's manger and wise men bringing Jesus gifts from afar, be reminded that this was downright radical. 
Because of Jesus, those viewed by society as just common people or less than people or the cream of crop of people, well, they're all welcome. For all have been made in the image of God. All are welcome at his manger and all are welcome around his table. So do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You see, friends, in Christ, all have dignity. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, we thank you that out of your incredible love for us, you saw us in our sin condition, that we could not do anything to change it. And so you stepped in, you sent your son to, to take our place on the cross, to pay a debt we could never pay. And that's why Jesus, you, out of obedience, you came to our world in such a humble way, to such a pride-filled people. And we thank you. And Lord, we thank you for your obedience to the cross and for rising again and providing all those who believe in you and repent and follow life in you. We also thank you for how you reminded us over and over and over again of the value of every single human life. And so now, Lord, as we gather around the table, Lord, we, we want to value each other esteem each other because you do and Lord as we eat the bread as we take from the cup as we remember you we also reflect you to others and we love that person to our right and to our left that person behind us and in front of us all people Lord knowing that one day one day we will celebrate with you in heaven and on that day, we're all going to gather around your throne, every race, tribe, and tongue. And we're going to declare you, Lord. You are our Savior. We worship you. And so now as we partake, we remember you. We worship you. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all that you're doing in our lives right now. To you. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.